On today's episode of Gathering the Kings. You said a couple of minutes ago that it's calculated risk and that you want to go all in and pressurize yourself, but that it's calculated, that it's based on education now or maybe before it was rolling the dice. How does someone listening to you right now know the difference on rolling the dice versus educating or taking a quote-unquote calculated risk? What's up, everybody? I'm Chaz Wolf, Gathering the Kings podcast. I'm your host. Today, I've got Ryan Kelly here on the King stage. My brother, Ryan, how we doing? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate yeah. it. Excited for yeah. the conversation. Dude, uh, loving your podcast setup over there. Got a little depth in your background there. Cool blue light. Awesome yeah. mic. Yes, another, another well-produced podcast. Other side, this will be fun. I want the audience to know that not, not only am I talking to a king, but but I'm talking to a really fast-moving king. So Ryan's got a lot of stuff going on. And even since we talked, <laughs> mm -hmm. you've made some things happen. So I'm so curious for this conversation and to be able to give the value of your story. Ryan, tell us what kind of business that you have. So I own KHP Construction, which is a general remodeling business, mostly kitchens, baths, full home renovations is our, our niche. And then we just acquired a flooring company and did a full rebrand with them. That company was around for 20-ish years wow. in our market. And then, yeah, rebranded them, KHP Flooring, and we're kind of vertically integrating our remodeling process right now. Love that. A lot of work in that. That's not just as easy as, you know. It's, it's easy to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> doing it's a whole different thing. That's right. Yeah. Copy paste isn't as easy in the actual doing as it is just, you know moving the fingers yeah, on a, on a keyboard. But there's a lot of things that, that you're doing inside of that. I think that are super practical for this conversation. And I want to get into that, but you're moving fast, man. Even when we talked the first time you went from zero to millions in a very short amount of time. Mm -hmm. And so before we get to the detail of all that, what, what's the burning desire? I am big on desire and that definiteness of purpose. What's beating on the inside of you that just won't stop? Yeah, th there's two main things when I reflect on why I why I am the way I am and how this company got to where it is. So first, I'll take you back to when I, you know, I think eight years old or so, and you know, I grew up not not poor, but we had we didn't go without really. We had everything we needed, but definitely left some things to be desired, right? I grew sure. up in a double wide trailer, holes in the floor on some acreage on top of a hill in the middle of nowhere, you know, in the, in the foothills of California. And I'm really happy for that because it, it instilled a lot of the, the ethics and, and character that yeah. allows me to succeed today. Yeah. And, but going through that, you know, I went through my parents getting divorced. I went through moving, you know, like I think eight times throughout wow. three years really being living out of a suitcase type situation, going home yeah. to home. And all I knew was I didn't want that. Right. So I automatically start reverting to the opposite of what caused those things to happen. Yeah. And, you know, I, I listen to another funny podcast and they always talk about, you know, show me the father and I'll tell you who the son, you know, and, and kind of that father instills the ethics into his son. And, yeah. You know, one thing I could say about my father, that man has the perseverance like mm -hmm. no other and has the work ethic of no other. He's started and lost everything, I think, two or three times now. So that bootstrap type mentality, that hard work and ethic was really instilled in me. Yeah. And so that's probably the the foundation of who I am. And then 
moving through my early 20s and kind of not really having much direction, I didn't find my now wife and, you know, we have an unexpected pregnancy outside of wedlock and she's a very conservative Christian family. She has, you know, she's one of seven siblings and it was kind of a put up or shut up moment. Yeah. And all I knew was, I don't want to have my kids go through the same situation that I went through. And the only yeah. way I could truly control that is through entrepreneurship. So there's a little bit of a, there's a touch of, I'm not good with authority. There's also a touch of responsibility <laughs> that I have to like my generation yeah. and to my kids. So I think what really drives me forward, and I think what a lot of people can resonate with is they want to change their, their generational sin. They want to change their family tree. They want to change that legacy. And the only way to do that is to create your own path. And that's what really inspired me to get into entrepreneurship. Yeah. I love that. Obviously there's a lot of emotion attached to that. Some good and, and yeah. some overcoming. Mm. Do you think that you've like worked on that articulation of kind of like you know, you kind of told a couple stories there that kind of blended together. Mm -hmm. Has that been something that you've developed? Has that just been a chip on your shoulder since the beginning? Like, give us a little insight on like how you develop this, this kind of connection. I think it's always been somewhat of a chip on my shoulder mm -hmm. and, and reflecting even through college. So I was always an athlete, right? I was the, the captain of my football team in high school, captain of the team in college. And then all of a sudden I blow my knee out. I get my 13th concussion. Wow. I can't, I can't transfer to another school because they won't medically clear me. Yeah, And I go from, you know, being up here and really, cause I've always kind of had that bootstrap. I got something to prove mentality yeah. to now I'm just another person in society with yep. no real skill set, no education. I dropped out of college. I had the most to prove. And a lot of it was to myself. That's right. And, and majority of the things I had to prove were to myself. And then I go from that. I actually was an endurance athlete. Okay. And I'm sure you've talked to other endurance athletes that have this kind of embrace the suck in there, the refine yeah. through fire type mentality. Sure. And I think that's where I really found myself was okay, it's an individual sport. I'm running, you know, sometimes 30, 40 miles at a time, 100 mile sure. weeks. And there is nothing you can be uncomfortable with in your own mind when you're alone for 10, 15, 20 oh, wow. hours. Yeah, And so that was really refining as well, but I've always just kind of had this really competitive edge. I've always had this kind of, you can't touch me mentality, chip on my shoulder. Yeah. And you know, that now being an adult with three kids and a wife and a couple companies that are being successful, it's now a balancing act of, okay, what is prideful and arrogant and what is confident and motivating. Um, yeah. But yeah, all those things blended together from my childhood to my athletic career, always having that I got to prove something type of mentality. Yeah. I resonate with that. And as you said, probably most entrepreneurs do, but I think that there's a progression, even though that you've held on to it, like you just, it just changes over the course of time. We mature, mm -hmm. we see things differently. Our perspective changes, especially if we're looking to grow mm -hmm. as you have to performers. Yeah. 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 Um, love the idea of, of, you know, asking ourselves, what does it mean to be a champion? Right. Cause at 20 being an athlete, what does it mean to be a champion or when you're 30 miles in, what does it mean to be a champion or when it's 3 AM and the baby has been up for the last three hours and you know, you got to be on a project at six, what does it mean to be a champion? You know, how, what does it mean to win? And mm -hmm. so I think that you gave a great, I don't know, just like a little, like a, a pool of thought there, man. I'm getting all, all the buzz over here. It's, 
it's it's Monday. It's Memorial Day, but freaking I'm ready to go because of Same. your answer right there. Yeah. So I got to rub shoulders with a guy like you more often. This is this is why we do this. So I want to know, like you you have a little bit of like personal chip on your shoulder. You're an athlete. You kind of fast forward a little bit to the companies and you just took over. But like, what's that middle piece? <laughs> How did you even start the business to begin with? Yeah. So, well, KHB Construction started in 2020. And it wasn't something <laughs> right. And not just like, I'm not talking like January, February, 2020, like pre COVID I'm talking like August, like yeah. in the thick of lockdown in the thick, in the thick yeah. of everything. Everybody and else I, was not going into homes. And you said, Hey, let's start a company where we go into homes. <laughs> right. Yeah. And actually it turned out well, cause 2021 was one of the biggest construction booms for yeah. renovations and it killed it. Yeah. Exactly. But, so I would rewind to about 2017. And that's when I started crafting a business model. And by business model, I really mean just ideas on my iPhone, on my notes. Yeah. And to put some context to this, I just found out my girlfriend was pregnant, right? And okay. in 2016, I'm okay. going through the internal battle of, do I propose and stand behind this? Do yeah. we, you know, separate, but parent the same? How do I move forward? And my conviction yeah. was I had, I made an action that has a consequence. And if I'm any type of man and with integrity, I need to stand behind this, do the right thing. And I married my wife, which is the best decision of my life. You know, the yeah. most refining, sanctifying, perfect decision I made in such an unperfect situation. Yeah. So I'm obviously rocking a hard place, right? I have my pregnant fiance now. I have, you know, my son on the way. I, I at that time, I was still running. I was still an endurance athlete. So I was traveling from Colorado West. And Really, I was on the road two weeks out of the month. I was working at a bar, you know, serving beers the other two weeks out of the month and just kind of just living, you know, L-I-V-I-N living, <laughs> just doing my thing. And so we found out she's pregnant and I decided, okay, let's get married. We went through some premarital counseling, found out it's a good thing. As soon as we, I made that decision, I quit racing and oh. I started working three jobs. So right. I started working construction in the mornings, 5 a.m. to 2 I worked at the bar from four to 10 and then I was an Uber driver and I took everyone home after I, you know, got them a good buzz. That's and right. That's so I started working three jobs for months on end, just saving money, saving money, saving money to try to provide for this, this soon to be child who is yeah. named Maverick now. And he's awesome. Great kid. So I'm working three jobs and the whole time I, I know I'm sprinting here in order to relax, you know, in the future. Yeah. I'm writing out a business model. I'm taking down ideas. I'm working at these construction companies. I'm thinking of how I could do things better than mm -hmm. what the current environment is that they're making. The first job was commercial construction. Total shit. <laughs> it was all in there. <laughs> there was no management, man. There was no process. There was nothing repeatable about what they did. There was no customer experience involved. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this, this can't be it. I leave that company with some good and bad notes. I go to another company, a well-established company, great process, great customer experience, really successful renovation company, have some good things, have some bad things that I didn't like about there. I was there for about two years. Then I leave there. I go to another contracting company. I'm doing public work this time. And so it's B2B. We have government contracts in a couple counties in California. I'm a carpenter by trade, multi-million dollar tenant improvements. Once again, completely unorganized, no customer experience. So I saw it in a bunch of different industries and how they do things in construction. And I also did construction and, you know, I was a ranch hand in college and I've always been handy, but this is my first organized experience in construction. Yeah. And then, yeah, August of 2020, I quit. 
probably about three years of notes and, and modeling built out on what I want to do with my company and my brand. Yeah. I started Kelly home and business before it was kitchen, home and bath. And I just started taking on side work and just kind of taking things in my own hands. Yeah. And from there, the biggest issue was a lot of my work was under the table. So I didn't have any paper trail to get my license. Oh, sure. So I, I, I approached my business partner now, his name is Bobby and he's a generational contractor. I think he's the fourth generation to be in general contracting. Wow. And we signed on with a responsible managing officer. So we gave away 20% equity uh, mm -hmm. for the license holder and then started rocking and rolling, started implementing. Yeah. And year one, we count our first fiscal year as 2021. We went from zero in revenue to just under 3.5 million. Wow. With that I mean, business model intact. Yeah, exactly. There's so many questions here because the listener, if they're paying attention, zero to three and a half in a, in a home services is in the first year is incredible. So the three years that you've been planning, the notes that you had mm -hmm. on your phone in August, 2020, you leave your job and you say, okay, you know, I'm doing this thing. Was that planned? Was that premeditated for that time? Was that a, there was a situation where you're like, I've had it. That's enough. <laughs> Give me that moment. Yeah. You know, I had a number in mind, like my, my exit number from okay. the nine to five. Yeah. Cause I was making six figures as a carpenter. I was making just under $80 an hour as a carpenter. So I was living a pretty comfy life style. Yep. It wasn't, it wasn't bad. Now the jump happened. I said, I need three months of work lined out and I need at least $30,000 in the bank account. So at this point we worked enough and saved up enough to buy our first home. And we were in that home for probably two years at this point, refinanced that home, leveraged it as much as I could, took our savings and literally slid all the chips in and said, okay, we're going to do this thing. Here we go. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Just the, obviously the, the proverbial, you know, we got to go all in kind of over and over and over again. We literally did. Yeah. You literally did. Yeah. Do you think that that specific piece of information is associated to zero to 3.5 in year one? hundred percent. Yeah. Cause we have like my mindset is there was no plan B there was no option. Like our motto here is burn the boats, you know, the Cortez, there is nothing to go back to like there seriously, like I, my family would be in financial ruins if this company wasn't successful. Cause we literally had nothing after I took everything and put it all in. So it was a big back against the wall, prove yourself type moment. Yeah. 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 It's been a couple of times you've said that now to prove it to myself, prove it to mm -hmm. others, that chip that, that lies on our shoulder. I am curious because I'm sure that that wasn't the last time that you've gone all in, even though you've been successful now for, for multiple years and the business has continued to grow and you've purchased, you know, other businesses and stuff now. What, what does that look like as far as putting all the chips in or, or creating that environment where you have to prove it to yourself or to your family, to your children, to your wife, to your team members, your partner, mm -hmm. like, right. Like we, I feel as if this is a repetitive thing that guys like you and I do, it's almost like it's self-sabotage, yeah. but it's not, it's like, we're putting ourselves in a bad situation on purpose so that we level up again and again and again, it's not really a bad situation, but we go all in. Right. Mm -hmm. What would you say to that? Well, I think there's two parts to that because in the beginning it was outside looking in highly irresponsible what i did <laughs> yeah. highly selfish irresponsible and that's what people would be saying if it didn't work out 
right. now, you know, because there's only two roads you could take. You're either yeah. a successful or you're a failure. And if you're successful, they talk about all the good things. Wow, that's so brave. He's taking care of his family. He's providing. What a wow. great provider. But if you yep. don't do it right, it's not a good look. So I think that that type of risk is irresponsible. The risk we're taking now, acquiring these companies, you know, going multi-market where you just open our third location, hunting down our fourth for next year. Those are all calculated risk. It has a lot of education behind it. Uh, still a small sample size, only three, three and a half years of, of a sample size to really make those decisions. Right. But I'm not rolling the dice anymore. Now, I would also say that having calculated risk is healthy and going all in over and over again is the only way you get to the end goal here. You can't just, like, I, I could sit here and probably put KHB on, on cruise control. Like it yeah. probably takes five to 10% of my daily activity to, to do my responsibilities here, but I make it a hundred percent because we're not done yet. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you said several things there that I want to press into within side of gathering the Kings mastermind <coughs> group. We talk about grateful, but not done. And so you just said, mm -hmm. I'm not done yet, <clears throat> which I want to get to here in a second. You said a couple of minutes ago that, you know, it's calculated risk and that you, you know, like you want to, that you want to like go all in and like pressurize yourself, but that it's, that it's calculated that it's based on education now, or maybe before it was rolling the dice. Mm -hmm. How does someone listening to you right now know the difference on rolling the dice versus educating or taking a quote unquote calculated risk? So what I would determine a calculated risk is having some sort of baseline information and some sort of repeatable equation or process that garnishes a result. So for example, like let's start when I first started KHB construction with Bobby here, we didn't take any work December of 2020. We pushed everything out to 2021 and we took a month off and we just worked on process, right? Like we sat there and we said, what is the ideal outcome? And we reverse engineer that into a daily action, an SOP, a repeatable process, whatever it means to yeah. be to, yeah. to get that result that's kind of the baseline of setting up something to where you can take calculated risk because yeah. when you're first starting out, you don't have any information. Like for me, I didn't, I don't have any business experience. I think it was kind of a blessing that I have the, I had the forethought to start with the end in mind and reverse engineer that to a, a daily action. Yeah. But a calculated risk is having all of the metrics and processes in place and tracking those things in order to leverage down the road and be able right. to take a different road and have some sort of forecast. So like for, for us now, like I know I have it right in front of me. My cost per lead is $545. You know, my lead to estimate ratio, 40%, my success rate, 35%. Right. So yeah. now I have a cost to acquire a customer right. for each revenue stream we have. And yep. I can go do this in another market and just, I have baseline information and that I could right. really make decisions off of that. Yep. So it's calculated because there's literally calculations happening behind it to say, Hey, I put a thousand dollars into this market here. I'm going to get $15,000 back. Great. Yeah. yeah. Understood. Okay. Going back to the not done yet. You had also made another comment about, you know, the, the end result or, you know, mm -hmm. you're setting up something. W yeah. What is that? What is the end result? Or when would you say I'm done? If you ever would. I will. <laughs> <laughs> I almost got I you there. <laughs> almost got me. I mean, everyone has a goalpost, right? Yeah. But I think they move, us, don't, don't they? <laughs> oh gosh, man. Us as serial entrepreneurs just keeps moving and moving and moving. Yeah, that's you right. know, 
at one point, my big, hairy, audacious goal was 50 million, right? Okay. That's a lot more attainable than I thought it was. It wasn't thinking big right. enough. I think my freedom number is 20 million, you okay. know, invested with 5 million liquid. I think that's my freedom number there. I could residually make, you know, let's say 400,000 a year on returns and still have some money to take some risk with, invest in businesses, start other businesses. Yeah. I don't think I'm ever going to be done, truthfully. Now, I, I view success as like time freedom. So how much more time do I give with my kids? How many more experiences do I get to have with my wife? Those are what I kind of, and right now I, I would say I'm highly successful. And if it could honestly stay like this, I, I would be more fortunate than most with the amount of time yeah. I could spend with my family and, and experiences I can, I can have with them. Yeah. 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 And underlying that you are a competitor. And so staying the same, even though right now it's great, mm -hmm. that in itself doesn't sound no. like joy. No, it's not going to happen. I can't do it. I can't just stay stagnant. Like we're already, we just got an LOI accepted for another contracting business that we're trying to acquire. That's a little bit smaller than KHP. And that's just going to solidify us in this market. Yeah. And then from there, like I said, we just moved, opened up another location in another market in kind of East Bay of California. We have our eyes down in South Bay. We have our eyes in LA. We have our eyes in Sacramento and also Scottsdale. And we, we already have the market research on a lot of those areas too. So yeah. it's really just hitting certain key KPIs and then yeah. going all in again and, and you keep throwing it on the table. That's right. That's yeah. right. I want to know practically, we've talked a lot of just really big picture, you know, conceptual thought here, which I love. I'd live in that all day long if I could, but I like daily actions too. That's what actually, you know, gets us mm -hmm. the success. What was a good decision that you made in the last three and a half years that you would just repeat over and over and over again, if you could? Investing in marketing more so and investing yeah. in well, and for some context here, my, my role in our company is I direct the sales team, marketing and design. And the best decision we made a few years ago is taking me out of the day-to-day -day marketing activities and structuring it and handing it off to someone else. It was... So you now have like a marketing co-pilot or someone who's leading that, that you check in with. Yep. Yep. I get a weekly check-in, monthly reports, and that was the biggest time saver and the, probably the best decision we made in the, probably the past six to 12 months. The second best decision was really hammering out our internal franchise model, like having some sort of roadmap to success with multi-market expansion. Because now really, like I said, I'm probably five, 10% of my week is really dedicated to, to KHB. That's all that's really required. Same thing with my business partner. We have three levels of management between the guys working on a project and us. Things handle themselves now because of the process we put in place. That's right. So really having structured, uh, and something John Willow said, he talks about the TVR model, teachable, valuable, repeatable. Um, yeah. Building our processes around something that's teachable, valuable, and highly repeatable. So you can install someone in your company to take that time burden off of you. So you can get freed up to do other stuff. That was the past year. We really hammered that out. Yeah. I mean, those are all super practical things, obviously, even just at the beginning, like you said, you took a month off and worked on process. Yeah. I'm sure you weren't hammering out every last detail like you just did in the last year, even, mm -hmm. but 
<clears throat> that it's a progressional play. Like we we put SOPs together and then you look back and you're like, okay, well, that was a good start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you upgrade and you get yeah. better and you make them more repeatable or more valuable. Yep. And what type of revenue can you shove through this overhead model? Right. Yeah. Like we we originally said, okay, we're gonna build out processes that can handle, you know, 10 million in revenue. Well, they handled 3.5 to four before they broke, you know? So now it's like, how do you make process and repeatable models for 50 million? Well, it turns out it's the same thing as a 10 million process, just a little bit more expanded, a little bit more, you know, delegation in between, you know, the floor to the middle, but yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's all about just testing and repeating and they always get refined, but just having the structure and having something repeatable was the key there to where anyone knows what they're responsible for. They know their deliverables. They know that it's a consistent, repeatable process and you can train someone in that and then walk away and manage it. Yeah. My follow-up question to that is it might seem a little bit off, off topic here, but inside of, you know, process or SOPs are people Mm -hmm. and you've not only grown a business, which, okay, there's a lot of people that can go sell. I can go sell a million bucks or a couple million bucks within the first couple of years and that's not necessarily the like wow factor. The execution of it, in addition to that, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then keeping people around. And like now you said, you have three layers in between the entry level versus where you guys are. Like that is, there's a lot of work that goes into that. But the thoughts that were coming into my mind were, you know, the negative thoughts that I hear contractors constantly talking about. Number one, well, when it was COVID, we couldn't find people who wanted to work. Now that COVID's over, we can't find people who want to work. Like it's always the same excuse when it comes to labor or even top talent when it comes to management. Like mm-hmm. you've done, and you've not only just like said, I don't even care about that and built it. You've done it during such a procure time. Yeah. Give us some insight there because you've got somebody listening right now. Guarantee it. Who's like, oh, I would never want to be that big. I couldn't handle it. There's too many people. I can't find it all. You know, bah, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. Brand, man. Investing in our brand. Huge for recruiting. You know, people want to work for us. And we have some long tenured guys. We have some guys that were some of our first hires, you know, been been around since the company, which I think our core group of management has been here almost since the beginning, since Q1 or Q2 of 2021, which is huge. Management. And I would say consistency would be the second thing integrity as well. You know, doing what you said you were going to do when you were said you're going to do it is huge. Especially like for me, when I started KHB, I was 26, right? I'm working with men that are 50, 55, 60 years old that have a lot more experience than I do. I, you need to have the consistency and, and really the character to, to instill confidence in your employees. Now, as far as the, our current market in like during COVID, it was an issue, but we just pay more than anyone else. You know, we're like, Hey, come work for this awesome company. We're going to pay you more. One of the first things we did was we got healthcare. That was a big differentiator between our company. And someone else's no other company in our space locally here offers healthcare for their employees. And I don't, I mean, I can see why it's over a six figure burden for us as a company, but just having healthcare was huge. Taking care of our employees first. And that truthfully was a big cornerstone in the premise of KHB was we worked for a lot of really crappy contractors and we worked for people that we did not want to be like. And so we just did the opposite of them. (laughs) You know, we treat our guys well, we treat them with respect. We pay them what they should be paid to live in California, give them healthcare, have 401k plan, starting off a profit sharing plan. So we just wanted to make everyone successful and it really kept the good ones here. 
and I, I think it's a winning model, you know, to have good retaining. Yeah. 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 yeah it's obviously it, that by itself doesn't solve all the problems because you still have to have the right people. I love what you said there. It keeps the right people. It does. The bad people are going to find a reason or they kind of bubble out anyway, as long as the situation or the environment is being managed properly. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent would agree. The right people in the right seat. So one of the first books we read was EOS systems, right? So we're going through, get a grip, implementing traction, having all of that right person, right seat through our org chart. And yeah, the good ones stay because they like deliverables. They like having a clear goalpost. They like being managed in a way to success because we're helping them. Yeah, The wrong people in the wrong seats, just the the complete misfits that don't belong here, they weed themselves out. Yeah. Yeah. It's good, man. Hey, Kings and Queens, Jazz Wolf. I want to talk to you about something that's super important to me. We put a lot of time and effort, we meaning myself and my team, into this podcast, into the content that goes out every single day. And if you have been getting any sort of value or insight from this, we want it to be able to reach other business owners too. So we would love if you would like, comment, share, leave a review, post, share again, (laughs) all of the things on social media, on all the different platforms, or even on the podcast mediums of Apple and Spotify. We would love to be able to get our content into more hands, more entrepreneurs, so they can grow their business as quick as possible. Together, we are building a community of like-minded entrepreneurs who are committed to growing their businesses to new heights. So let's do this. Let's help each other. Let's help each other grow. What about a bad decision? Something that you've done that wasn't your best hour? Well, this one is tough. And it also has to do like within KHB that actually bled into my personal life. Something that affected my wife a lot that I have a lot of regret behind. So we're design built, right? So we're going out there and we're bringing in outside designers and house designers to, to bring these projects to life before we execute them in production. Right. And we had one designer that came in. I recruited her in 21, I think. I think she started beginning in 22 or so. And she was having some really tough personal life things go on with her, with her husband and, and a lot of other things. And her and I, one, I work hand in hand with them every single day. So her and I got really close. And on the outside looking in, there was a a total emotional affair going on where I was investing more time into her at work than I was with my wife and just my nature, like nothing physical happened. You know, I I haven't, wouldn't ever do that, but I wasn't aware of the line of where do I leave work at work and when do I stop investing myself into people? And that was really hard. That was really tough because that was the first time I've ever been in that situation where I have, you know, there's this person that is really needs help, you know, Christian woman, nice family, nice person, really hard worker, has a lot of great attributes. And then it was kind of like that damsel in distress type moment where I like, I'm just trying to yeah. assist and help. And it just grew yeah. into a strong friendship that wasn't appropriate being a man that's married. Yeah. And that was really tough with my wife. And if I could go back having clear boundaries knowing what my position is as a business owner and as a husband, as a Christian, yeah. where I need to set those lines and right. put my wife first. Yeah. That, that was really tough. That was, I mean, that's something I would not do again. <laughs> Believe me. Yeah, no, I, I can that's, hear that's you sucked. on that. I, I'm just thankful that you would say that out loud because it's not only true, but there's, there's somebody listening, probably multiple, probably a lot of people who have experienced that or have at least, you know, 
gone down that road and, and thought, you know, what if you write the, the XYZ yeah. of scenarios? Yeah. I think what you said there at the end there was probably the most important because, you know, my first seven businesses, I had 65 plus employees and probably 63 of them were women. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've had to have this like same like level of understanding maybe that you just expressed. On top of that, I was raised by all women. <laughs> it, was, it was just me and a bunch of, you know, my mom, my sister, my grandma. So there's a professionalism and there's obviously then a desire to help. Like that's just who we are, you and me. And then there's others like us or the damsel in distress or the single mom, right? Not only did I grow up single mom, but there's been dozens of them that have worked for me. And there, there is a play where it's professionalism. You're a business owner. I'm very married, like period. Right. (laughs) And that, like, that has to be part of the conversation. It's gotta be part of, you know, how you operate. And I think that that's what you're saying. The result that you have now that maybe it wasn't, it didn't tell you didn't have it before. It just wasn't as clear. Now it's like, mm-hmm. these are the things I do or don't do or that how I operate because this over here isn't just back here. It's like, no, no, no. It's right here. Mm-hmm. Really, really important to me. Would you agree with kind of what I'm saying here? I would agree. And I think, I mean, it has to be something you're conscientious of at all times. Because um, right. like for me, like my intentions are pure. Like I, I was not you know, running out there saying, I'm going to go find a chick, right? I don't, I'm going to cheat on my wife. Like that's not something that runs through my mind, yeah. uh, but just understanding the boundaries and the context of your marriage too. You know, if I was married for 20 years and maybe we dated for 10 years prior to that, and we had our first kid and we had this established relationship and this established marriage, what happened might not have been as big of a deal because like I said, nothing physical happened. There was nothing, there was no, like, yeah. there was no eloping going on there. Yeah. But my wife and I got pregnant out of wedlock. We went through a very, very tough first two, three, four years of marriage. And we were like, we're, and we're still in the thick of, you know, learning how each other works, learning totally. how one person receives love and how we're we on 15 years in and still learning that. Ah, uh, gosh, that's what I'm saying. It, so it, it was just a, yeah, real, real bad spot, real bad situation that if I could go back and change things, one, I would probably have someone in between me and that. Right. Yep. I would have a middle level there. Good um, practical. Right. And then two, I would always be above reproach. I would always have someone in on those conversations. I would always have that third party there. Yep. And and I would really try to segregate, you know, that type of emotion from yeah. this is business. This is moving forward. I care about you. I want your life to be well and all yep. that. But here's yep. that line. And my marriage supersedes all of this. Yeah. 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 I, I think all of that is just so straight on and good perception is reality. And and this goes beyond just the situation of working with a female employee and you're a male boss or vice versa, right? Female Mm -hmm. owner and, and male worker, whatever the situation is. Perception is reality. Even in money perceptions, reality in the church perception. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, let's just be honest that people make judgments based on what they see, hear, and think not necessarily what they know. And because of that, we have to, especially as business owners, especially as kings, we have so much weight, so much at stake. Why? Why would I ever even think about risking that, right? That's not yeah. a calculated risk. No, that is not. That's immature risk. <laughs> yeah. It would make no sense. Yeah, it's the it's the warrior king transition. The warrior is out to, out to battle, right? And mm-hmm. sometimes 
crazy things happen in the battle, right? And it doesn't mean that we don't go to battle anymore. It just means that we have a different perspective on the battle mm -hmm. as kings. All right. Well, what about your decision-making process now? I mean, dude, you're moving way fast. Okay. And so if something comes across your desk today, yeah, you got EOS and you got a management team and you got a partner, but like what's really going on in your brain when you're thinking about, I need to make a good decision here. What are the steps that you take? There's a few filters I run through before making decisions. One thing I will say that I really enjoy about our size is that we're we're not some nine figure, you know, publicly traded company that has to go through 10 different boards to get, you know, one right. final, you know, iteration process. That's we're right. pretty quick, right? So I I change things on a dime if I need to. Yeah. But one, I'm always thinking about the the end result of every decision I'm gonna make. So we have actually one great one great example is last week. We've been having a, a fork in the road sales process where we have an if then kind of situation with clients. And depending on what road they take, that kind of forecast in what their success rate is going to be. And also the duration of that life of from lead coming in to actually getting this into production and getting some billable, you know, getting work in progress built. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm tired of having a fork in the road. Like, no, let's just sell straight to design every single time. Let's not compete with all these other you know, low barrel contractors that are just, you know, yep. racing to the bottom and then change ordering their way back up. Cause that's one of our guarantees. We're a no change order contractor. We're a no markup contractor, which is also wow. an interesting value proposition to homeowners. Yeah, it is. But in, in two guarantees, no other contractor in the nation is, is giving. But when I make a decision, I'm thinking of the three outcomes that I could have and then the people involved in that outcome. And if I could live with all three, outcomes, pull the trigger, do it. Let's get it done. Let's get a team together. Let's get a plan in place. Let's execute it. Yeah. And I'm, and that's really, and, and those, and like the outcome, if it's going to change someone's quality of life, if it's going to change a relationship inside the office, or if it's going to affect our customer, those are typically the three decision-making filters that I go through. Love it. Super yeah. practical too. I love, I'm going to have to hit the record button for the stop and then, and then pick your brand a little bit more <laughs> yeah. Want the secrets to remain a secret. I, I love your decision-making filters, but really it's, it's, it, I just mindset recognizes mindset. And so this is for the listener. I'm just, I'm going to just come over here for a second and talk with the listener is that, you know, the three and a half years of success that Ryan and his team have, have enjoyed wasn't by luck. Right. And And we know this, like we, like the cliche, it's like, you saw his success, but all the other things that he was preparing for beforehand, is just the tip of the iceberg. Like we, we get all the cliche stuff, but what, what we really haven't like very like dialed right in on. And I just want to like give you a big secret here is that Ryan has a mindset that is just impenetrable. And maybe it comes from his dad, which is, this is persistence. You know, it's one of the, one of the principles of success in, in thinking grow rich, but, but it can't just be just that it has to be well thought out well-filtered decision-making, which is really why I do this show to begin with. So Ryan, you're fulfilling everything that I thought of 340 episodes ago when I first launched this thing of how do I help other business owners make great decisions? And it was like, well, I can interview other great decision makers like Ryan. So thank you for that. Yeah. I want to go to our speed round here. I've got a question for you about KPIs. Mm -hmm. Obviously there's a bunch. You kind of already rattled off a few marketing KPIs, but if you could only pick one, to track forever and ever, which one would it be? Success rate. Okay. 
What do you mean by that? Give us the, give the listener a little thought. How much revenue you can get in the door. So I would say that sales fixes everything until it breaks it. So I don't think there's (laughs) right. I don't think there's one King KPI that you could just be sitting on an Island in Hawaii and track your business from afar. It has to be a multitude because they all speak to each other. They all all tell a different story in either efficiency or that's right. But I mean, I would say that success rate, if knowing everything else I know, right. If I could just see how many jobs are getting sold as a percentage of leads coming in, and I know our like our I know our average job size and our revenue sources. If we keep this success rate, we're going to be fine. Yeah, because you know that the implementation on the back end is happening exactly. But that experience. also means I need the efficiency metric of lead to estimate ratio. So I need to right. know how many leads are coming in, how many get spit out through prequal, and job walks were actually going on, yeah. because you know right now you know we have a forty percent lead to estimate. So out of ten people, we're going to four people's homes. They pass qualification. Yeah. Now, if that was 20% that I need to see our success rate skyrocket or we're in trouble, right? So there, there's a few different things. Yeah, yeah. Close second would be net gain and loss on our baseline schedules because okay. tracking everything on a gross profit per day type of type of equation, if we go you know, two days over our baseline, you know, that's three, four grand per project, you know, we're yeah. losing and it has a, a ripple effect throughout production. That's right. That's right. So- I'm a sales guy. So I would say success rate. Yeah. <laughs> keep closing. I, yeah. Everything. Keep closing, baby. Actually, I think you, you said it probably better than I've, I've said it before, but you said it was so simple because I've said, I've said many times myself, growth solves everything. Sales solve everything until it breaks it, which is yep. that last little piece that you threw in <laughs> that I've never really said, but as soon as you said, I'm like, yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> what happens is because I'll just go out, sell the problem. Right. Cause really any yeah. problem that we have, can be solved with a certain amount of resource. Okay, great. A lot of that resource can be just money. Fantastic. Let me go sell, get more money, solve the problem. Until (laughs) the selling of all of this created a whole nother set of problems. Mm -hmm. Pick your set of problems, I guess, right? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Like like (laughs) I said, sales does fix 90% of whatever's wrong in your business. Sell more, sell at a higher GP. But there's so many things that have to happen after that job sold, especially in our environment being in custom renovations. You know, our average ticket's $180,000, right? And there's a lot that goes into a $180,000 renovation. And so being able to sell, but not only that, being able to communicate to multiple people in different departments throughout quality control of the pre-construction process, what is happening. And so luckily it's 2023 and we have a huge tech stack to help communicate visually, audibly, and then also what's to come in the future through VR renderings, a bunch of different applications we can use, but yeah, sales fixes everything until there's a chink in the chain down the line and something that doesn't get delivered on and it's over there. There goes everything. That's right. Okay. What about a business resource that you've used or, you know, podcast, a book, something that you've taken in that, that you can share with us that we can go partake in. Gosh. Well, one of my, one of my favorite books right now is never split the difference. The Art of negotiating. It is oh, very yeah. good. The second one that I probably listened to like six times in a day and the art of war. Oh yeah. Great book. And there's just so many ways you can interpret it and break it down and really apply it into your own business. So those, those two were foundational. 
EOS system, also foundational, how to influence people, mm -hmm. you know, foundational type book just on how to operate as a company and as a person. I would say those book wise, as far as like peer group coaching mentors, that's something we, you know, we had, and that's one of the biggest frustrations I had with these groups was it's a pay to play type group, which is fine. You know, everything costs something, but the groups I was in were people that were my size, you know, and I'm like, love you guys love the community. I don't really care. I want to go talk to the $50 million guy. I want to go talk to the hundred million dollar guy, you know, the national franchise guy. Like I want to go get exposure to those people and yeah. that costed a little bit more money and resource right. to get that type of access, but getting around the people who have done what you want to do, even right. in different industries, because right. business, I mean, it's, it's the same game. It's just depending on what mode you're playing it. Contracting companies, restaurants, hotels, we're playing on a hard mode, you know, e-com, SaaS, subscription-based businesses, a little, it's easy mode once it's built in a lot of ways. But getting around the people in different industries that are eight, nine figure entrepreneurs, that has been more fruitful than most of any books I've read because I can just sit here like this and just be like, hey man, got a question and yeah. just talk. Yeah, That's the best all. type of education. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I also think that you made a really cool distinction <clears throat> here. And really it's you know, the the steps or maybe you know different levels that we go through as an entrepreneur. And, and I would even say like before that peer to peer, that was like, just, you know, like you and your peers, even at a multiple million dollar level before that, it was probably a coach or maybe more of like transactional money for information, right? Where the next level up that middle of the road community, I need other people around me to kind of push me forward. It's mm -hmm. huge. But at some point, You've mastered self-mastery in all of these areas of business and, and marriage and family, all these things, not that you become perfect, but you, you master enough to where the community is great and it's still good to be part of a community. A lot of times you then pour into the community rather than extrapolating, which is kind of king mindset anyway, but you're right. There's then another level where you're like, okay, I got to get out of the little pond and into mm -hmm. the next one where I'm, I'm a nobody again. Mm -hmm. That principle in itself, I think, is just you recognizing, and the listeners should do this as well. No matter where they are in their journey, it's this like, okay, I need information. I need a coach or someone individual. Then I need a community of like-minded people that are like me. And then I need to stretch myself again to get to the bigger player that maybe it really isn't like transactional, like a coach, but it's more of like, I get one opportunity to ask one question, or I get to go to one lunch later this week. I'm, I'm going to be flying, having dinner in New York City with a guy that was on the podcast. He's in the hundreds of millions and him and his right hand are going to be there. Me and my right hand are going to be there. And I don't know, I don't have a clue what's going to happen in the meeting, but I guarantee you there's going to be some, some great rubbing of shoulder happening over some awesome stakes. Right. And it's that type of environment where you're like, okay, and I don't really care if there was 30 or 300 or 2000 people at this conference, I would much rather be at that dinner. And it cost me however much, I don't really care. Because that's the type of relationships or the types of knowledge, the one little itty bitty pieces that I need to walk away from and go, ah, boom. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Every, like we were in Tulum in January at a conference and some big fish there, you know, it's probably about two, 300 people total. And I'm going through the itinerary. I'm Googling all these people. I'm looking up like, okay, who's, what table am I going to sit at? Who's, who's you here? know? Yep. And the first night, man, I'm walking around. I see a face that I saw and I'm like, okay, I know he has. 
know, $80 million construction company, whatever it may be. Yeah. We're going to go talk to him. You know, we're going to go sit down. Like this, this is why I'm here. Yeah, I paid to be at this conference. Yeah. I'm going to get some value out of this thing and get around yeah. those people. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, bro, we are, we are just so like-minded in that way where the things that I've paid for, I don't necessarily count the cost. Most people do because they don't do the work, right? Mm -hmm. The work of what you just said of doing the back end. every event that I've ever gone to. Well, I can't say that every, but every event where I've been a participant, like a mastermind group or a small event or a, like a little shindig, I always ask for the list mm -hmm. and I'm always going to do research ahead of time because I do want to shake some hands intentionally, just like Ryan just said. So I think that intentionality probably is the right word, but when you know what you're after, I don't necessarily know that the $80 million guy is going to give it to me. I don't know, but I'm going to find out. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or, or figure out like, how can I give them value? Right. Like how can I give, give, give. And then eventually the one thing you get to take is going to be worth everything to you, you know, cause oh, yeah. it's, it's the value piece that you're missing or the, maybe just that framework that they, that they work under that really yeah. opens up your mind to like, Oh wow, there's a whole other way to get to that goal. Totally. Totally. Yeah. There's a guy inside of our, our mastermind group gathering the Kings and he's 300, maybe even over 400 million. It's right around there. It's just ridiculous gobs of money. And you never know. You would never know, except for the way that he talks, the way that he handles himself. If if we never talked money or business, you would know immediately that he was different and that he is the different one, mm -hmm. right? And everybody else in the group knows it too. And I knew from the beginning, even you know when I first met him. And so I, I flew down. I made sure I took him to dinner. Like I stay in contact with him. I personally tried to figure out how I could add value to that guy, which yeah. I think he would say publicly that I have. But it's like, how can I add value? Because if he comes to a meeting with other little eight figure guys, or heaven forbid, the guy that just crossed over a million, I know that they in his presence are going to get value. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's an equal exchange. It's like, man, if that guy, and he loves coming around the guy that just crossed a million because he gets energy from that guy. He's like, that dude has got smoke yeah. on him from the real battle, <laughs> you know? So it's like this mutual exchange of energy, but it's facilitated with what you're saying. Give, 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 pay attention, be intentional, like put pieces in place. Like you can be doing this inside of your business right now, listener, right? A hundred percent. And if you're in that, let's say low seven figure, trying to get into that eight, eight figure space, go find the dude that's there and figure out how to solve one of their problems. Yeah. Just, just go and talk. I mean, obviously don't be a pester or annoy them, but give them value, give them a, a solution to a problem that they might have, or make life a little bit easier for them, have some sort of value add to what they do. And you're, you're going to be successful because those people like to give back from what I've seen, they those do. people that hit eight figure, the right nine ones. figure, the right ones, you know, that yep. yeah, just aren't total arrogant pricks. You know, yep. those guys like to give back. They like that hungry, you know, $2 yep. million a year guy that wants to make it a 20, you know, they, they Absolutely. love that. They want to help you. Yep. That's yeah. right. Yeah, I just, I happened to be in your city next Thursday and I thought maybe if potentially you'd be available, I'd take you out for a steak dinner over at so-and-so. I heard you say it one time on a podcast and they're like, that sounds great. Yep. That easy. Right? Me up. <laughs> and, and I went, I went to that city with nothing else on the calendar. Now I put other things on the calendar once he said yes, <laughs> Yeah. but it was, I'm going there to meet with him. I'll figure out the rest later. <laughs> yeah. Because that's worth it in itself. Yeah. Just having that relationship. Itself. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I got to ask you a question about family and then we're going to wrap up here. You're, you're in the midst of it. You you've got some young kids, you know, 
the marriage that you've already described to us where you guys are like, you know, really fighting for each other. I really love that. The obsession of business and the leveling that you've done over and over again in your business is because of the obsession. And so I've correlated this to, you know, like not balance, but life obsession also. So how have you, or how are you obsessing over wifey and kids at the same time as growing these crazy businesses? Well, in a few different ways. I mean, the the business has given us the opportunity to buy a farm, you know, so we just bought 18 acres of land. We're currently, all of us, three kids under six, my wife and I are living in a fifth wheel right now while we renovate it. I'm working with my sons, you know, I'm teaching them skills, I'm talking with them. It's honestly been a very, very rewarding time right now. And also the whole point of having this successful business and businesses like I said, was to give me the time freedom to spend with my family. That's yeah. the whole why. If I didn't have kids right now, I'm not sure if I'd be in business. I'd probably be content working for someone else doing my own thing. But they give me that purpose, that why that really drives me to to be more. And now business is kind of my drug and I'm addicted to it and I'm not going to stop. But I would say that really just trying to have as much time as I can for them and at no cost to myself. So I sacrifice, you know, my mornings when I have to get stuff done, I get stuff done. There was about six months there. I'm in the office 3.30 AM just so I could be home by five to see my kids. There's only been a handful of days in the past three years where I was home past five o'clock when I know, you know, most business owners, the first few years, it's, they're working all night, working all day, but I would rather, you know, sacrifice my time in that morning. And I'd rather lose sleep and you know, wake up at three, two thirty, three AM to get to work rather than stay till six or seven and miss out on those times right. with my children. So yeah, I'm just investing in them every way I can. I'm really excited because like I said, I grew up in a double wide on some land. I had goats, we had chickens, we had a steer, had a horse. Awesome. Uh, I'm real excited to share that with my children and, and spend time yeah. with them. In that way. Yeah, it's gonna be I'm I'm really excited about that. Well actually after this I'm gonna go build a fence. You know <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Gonna go build a fence for the goats. There you go. Some of those things, you know, uh, are happening at the wolf farm as well. And you know, I really personally, I'm not a big, big, big fan of the fence building, but I do it with the wife, especially around the chickens. But like you, I've learned that it's not really the task because it feels like I should just hire this out. It's the task that no, I get to I get to show my sons in your case, or in this case, my daughters and my son's younger, still learning. But it's like, you know, like these are the moments that allow us time and a situation to be able to pass along that knowledge or, or thought process mindset, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the best way to give back to your children. Yeah. Work with yeah. them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I have in my, my morning visualization that I read out loud, it's that I'm building my family plus three generations. And I really believe that that is, that is what biblically I'm supposed to do. But like, for me personally, that's like part of my calling. Like the next three generations are going to be not set up financially. Yeah. That's like, of course, but how and why and what, as far as the thinking goes. So that way it's not just squandered, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same, like, show me the father and I'll tell you about the sons, you know, like you're instilling that generational success in them. That's great. Last question here for you, Ryan, if you could whisper, in the younger Ryan's ear, what would you say? Oh, gosh. That's a good one. There's a few things that come to mind. I would say find one thing and do it. 
And that's, that's one of the biggest flaws I have is I am very good at starting fires. I'm very good at making things big, but I lose attention. I lose attention span. I have to be constantly diligent on following up on tasks. So I would tell myself, find one thing and follow through with it. Cause I don't think there, whether it's construction or when I was an athlete, when I was playing football as a husband, I don't think there's, I think I could be very successful in anything that I just applied myself to consistently over an amount of, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. But my biggest issue growing up was I'm just a scatter. Like I'll start this here. And then now I'm an ultra runner. Well, now, now I'm a hunter. Now I'm going to go fishing every day. Now I own a farm, you know, now it's, <laughs> it's doing a core basis of one thing consistently instead of being scattered. So yeah, do one thing, do it consistently. That's what I tell myself. I love that. Thanks for the vulnerability yet again. It's so real and we kind of chuckle at, you know, both you and I were kind of just chuckling there, but it's, it's because it's real for both of us. We're just like, you know, we, <laughs> you've got to master this portion. Even just this weekend, I was doing some study on this very topic and just the momentum and, and power that you get from focus and mm -hmm. like really, really dialing in and like really, really fighting off the external things. And it's so cliche, but it's so true. And so I just appreciate yeah. another King saying, saying what it is. How can the listener find you, Ryan? Of course, number one, you, you might be able to, so first off, tell us where you're currently located so that that way, if they need flooring or home remodeling or a kitchen or bath, they can find you. But yeah. in addition to that, they might be a remodeler looking for maybe a system to plug into. Maybe it makes sense for you to talk to them, maybe even talk business beyond just a little bit of advice. Yeah. How can they find you? So we're in central California. So Turlock Modesto area. We also have a location in Dublin. So we service East Bay all the way to pretty much Tahoe and then all the way South to Fresno and North to Sacramento. So pretty good span if you're in the central California. You can find us on YouTube at KHB Construction Inc. We also have our podcast on there, the Above Industry Standard Podcast. Instagram, Twitter, all at KHB Construction. Our our website, which I'm very proud of. We have, we have revamped that not too long ago too. Kitchenhomeandbath.com. And yeah, we're here to help whoever, whoever wants to talk. Perfect. You've been incredible, man. Um, I know that we've only known each other for a short time, but... I feel blessed to know you and then to see where, you know, where we'll run together is also encouraging and inspiring. So thank you for being here. We wish you nothing but blessings on that family that you talked about, yep, your team, you. all the thank new businesses that you're going to conquer this year. Thanks for being here, brother. All right, man. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to Gathering the Kings today. I hope that you were able to pull out a few nuggets to go apply into your business right away. More importantly, though, I hope that you're realizing that it takes more to be successful than just being by yourself, doing it all on your own, carrying the weight all by yourself. What I have realized, not only in my own journey from multiple businesses and multiple different industries, and now interviewing literally over two or 300 other very successful seven, eight and nine figure business owners is that it's tough to do it alone. And so Gathering the Kings literally exists to bring together successful entrepreneurs. In fact, we are putting together one thousand kings specifically who are grateful but not done we're intentionally assembling kings who fight tooth and nail for their business family and communities and here's what we believe that in the pursuit of excellence in those areas that it ignites within us the responsibility to govern power and forge a lasting legacy so if that relates and and resonates with you 
and you know that you need people around you, sharp, qualified, other very successful business owners, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. I want you to take a look at what we're doing and see if it makes sense for you to be part of our pursuit to 1,000 Kings. Talk soon.